the rest of us will turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. In the Pew Bible, it's 1056. Uh, in my Bible, it's 1809. I know that doesn't help anybody but me. Uh, but if you want to turn there, we hope that you join us as we read God's Word. We've been going through a series of vital signs of a healthy church. Uh, we've been learning about how to prioritize the gospel, how we prioritize uh, evangelism and missions uh, and discipleship. These are all elements of a healthy church biblically. And, and we've looked at uh, many different things. But today we're going to look at biblical leadership and how this relationship together as congregation and pastor can be healthy as it is a vital sign of a healthy church. So beginning in verse 24, and we read to verse 26. The Lord's servant must not quarrel must not, and must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponent with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who is taking them captive to do his will. Let us pray. God, we ask you in this that you would change our hearts, that we would understand your word, that you would give us and show us Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Tom Rayner, who is the president of Lifeway currently, has been many different things. He's uh, been the dean of the Billy Graham School of Evangelism, but mostly, even while he was doing all these things, has been a church consultant in helping churches to get healthier and help them through problems. He uh, has learned a lot of different things, and he has uh, been revealed a lot of different things. And one of the things he, he found is written in a book called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. He was asked by a friend to come help his church, and after uh, surveying the congregation, by seeing the history of the church, by, by listening to leaders, by seeing the community, uh, he had to tell his friend uh, that, uh, he, that this church would probably close its doors in the next five years. Now, he was wrong, not about closing its doors, he was just wrong about the timing. It took 10 years. Uh, he had seen several different things. You can read his book and find what those common elements are of churches that close. Uh, and one of those, the first one is, is that they, they celebrate the history more than they see the present. They also see more of, of themselves internally and don't see the needs of the community. But one of those things was this tenure of leadership. Uh, one of the things that they found in the last 10 years of that church, they had had seven different pastors. Uh, what we see both in his research as well as importantly in the Bible, that there is an important relationship among the congregation and pastors. There is an importance to see that there is a vital nature of seeing strong churches have strong biblical leadership and strong relationships with the pastor and the congregation. Churches are different than any other organization that you could dream up. Uh, in business and in, in life, we see that there's a total different relationship that is formed. First of all, that Christ is the head. Christ is the cornerstone. He directs the church through his word and through the Holy Spirit. He has given authority to the church, to the members, for it to 
make decisions based on membership and, and leadership and direction. But he has also raised up leaders that he has called and equipped to lead. We see that this is a different thing because we see that those he has given authority to is then called to do something countercultural, then submit to leadership. That's not what you normally do. You, don't, you give those authority the way to lead, but in, in the Bible, the authority is given to then submit. So how do we see this? Well, a couple of different ways that, the, that God has given clearly his authority to his spirit-born people. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 through 20, which is probably the most, most misquoted and misunderstood scripture uh, that is used in the New Testament, when it says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you are on earth agree about any matter that you pray for it, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Therefore, what does this scripture say? Not some uh, misunderstood thing that if you know, two people pray, then God hears you better or something like that. What it says is, is that the church is the ultimate authority and responsibility of affirming, approving members, choosing leaders, disciplining members, and ultimately protecting the gospel. Both Paul and Jesus calls out congregations, members, for allowing the gospel to be tainted. And so the ultimate authority is in the church and its members. But we also read Christ, God, has ordained pastors and elders over churches. These are people who have been especially gifted to teach the word of God and to lead congregations. We see this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It's interesting here, if you do a study of scriptures, you'll find a couple of different things, is that the biblical prescription for churches is multiple elders over churches. You'll see that it's actually listed this way as the use in terms of scripture. In the scriptures, elders or presbyteros uh, is the Greek term, is used 18 times in the New Testament. The term overseer, which we saw in Acts chapter 20, is used six times. And the term that we use the most often, pastor, is actually only used one time as a noun, two times as a verb, which is a shepherding uh, verb or shepherding understanding, a pastor uh, that is, uh, uh, is in the New Testament. Here, therefore, we see if you mention the church or mention uh, leaders, they're always in the plural and not in the singular. Therefore, pastors, plural, are called to lead, oversee, teach, and shepherd and care for an individual church. You know, unfortunately, though, so we see this, this two different roles set up. The authority given to prove elders, uh, leaders, pastors, and then the congregation to follow them. The problem is, is this relationships get messed up because of sin. I mean, I've seen so many of my friends in ministry get, get uh, burnt up or tore up their family because of a small group of leaders or uh, a power group in the church goes against them and, and turns their life and their world and their church upside down. We also see the opposite 
I've also seen dictatorial pastors who, uh, there was one pastor who would sit up on the stage during business meetings, and when someone spoke out against something he wanted to do, he'd flip open his notebook and take notes like he was, you know, going to tell the principal or do something like that. And this is an unhealthy relationship. So because of sin, because, we, because of all this stuff, how do we have healthy, vital relationship as congregations and pastors? Well, uh, we must, one, understand that we are united under the cause of Christ, that it is Christ who pulls us together. It is Christ who has formed us in His Holy Spirit and is Christ in His Word, but also that we're to understand the love that God calls us to have for one another, the faithfulness that we must have for our roles that He has placed us, but also that the congregation understands the weighty and spiritually important call that pastors have to lead well. And when I read this scripture, I shudder because it is a high call that God has given in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And just in this one verse, we see the weightiness of the call of pastors who must give an account to God one day of its congregation, but also the benefit of the congregation if they help do it with joy, because there is a profitable relationship to come about. Pastors must be the servant leaders that they are called to be, to not serve their own interests, but serve the love and interest of their congregation. So as we look at this wonderful relationship, this beautiful relationship that God has given, let's look at this together and how we can understand how biblical leadership is vital for us. And as we look at this, there are four qualities we will see in pastors, but then see how the congregation can help them in following their pastors. So here, let's look at this together, this text together. Number one, a pastor must be gentle so I must protect peace. So I must protect peace. In verse 24, the first phrase that Paul uses here is the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Now, let us just understand the context that Paul is writing. Paul is writing to his son in the faith, his, his, his protege, who he has sent to Ephesus to raise up churches, to help them be healthy, help them to raise and choose leaders. It is in this phrase that we find it interesting because we find that Timothy was not sent to a very easy situation. Uh, we've actually can read back in 1 Timothy and elsewhere in Scripture that Hymenaeus and Philetus were out there preaching and teaching that the resurrections already happened. And so people who are Christians were concerned that they, they'd missed the train, so to speak, but also that there was a misunderstanding of the gospel. And so he had sent Timothy because he was in jail to make sure to right the ship, so to speak, to help the church protect the gospel. So I say this to say that Timothy was not sent to a very easy situation. And he was going to be met with opposition both in the church as well as those in the community preaching a false gospel. And the first phrase that Paul tells him, do not quarrel. Now, this is a very hard thing to do. He is telling Timothy, be a good soldier, 
be an athlete, hardworking farmer. These are terms that he used there in, 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 in all of the Scripture. But in this placement, Timothy, do not be quarrelsome, but gentle. Be gentle even when they oppose the gospel. Be gentle when they misunderstand. Be gentle because that's what Christ did. How do we be gentle? How is a pastor to be gentle in opposition? How are we to be gentle in opposition? We remember how Christ acted. Christ never would break a bruised reed or quench a dimly burned wick. He would never set out in opposition to those who resisted him. He never retaliated. He instead turned his cheek to those who would tear out his beard. He turned his face to those who would spit on him. He was gentle and eventually allowed himself to be like a sheep, silent, unresisting, led to the slaughter. So we must be gentle. And how do we do this? We guard peace. We watch our tongues. We say things that are good for one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says, For no foul language should come from your mouth, only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. Therefore, pastors should be gentle in their word and be reminded that to be gentle even in harsh opposition. So how does the church help pastors? Be reminded that the same gentle nature in which we are to respond. Be reminded of the honor deserved and treat those leaders that God has given you with honor and respect and in keeping peace. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain and the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't accept accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. See, Paul is saying, remember, we need to treat this with respect. Guard our tongue. Avoid gossip, slander, backbiting that would harm reputations and hearts. We need to be reminded of all of us being gentle in our relationships. You know the game Jenga, right? You've played it or seen someone play it with all the blocks and each person takes a turn pushing or pulling that block out until it tumbles and then that person that it tumbles is the loser. At the picnic we play with that you know, that yard size one that makes the loud noise and everybody screams when it falls down. Uh, it's a great time doing that. But you know, playing Jenga is much like using harmful words about one another. Using harmful words, all of a sudden, a relationship's going to crumble. Keep using harmful words, and a church could crumble. We must be gentle with one another and how we speak. Secondly, we see here a pastor must be able to teach, so I must crave God's Word. The next phrase here in 24 is that uh, he must be able to teach. And this characteristic is really the only thing that separates pastors from anything else in the congregation. In 1 Timothy 
Uh, you read uh, the qualifications of pastor followed by qualification of elders. Very subtle difference between the first list and the second list. And the first one being this is that, that the pastors must be able to teach. Where deacons, it says, well, it'd be great if they could teach, but if you're going to hold that office, you must, as a pastor, be able to teach. Different than even the qualifications of, or, or qualities of a follower, a, a believer, that we should all be self-controlled and control our tongue and be faithful and all these things. But what it separates is that the ability or the call to teach. So what can a church then do to help their pastors in this area? Crave God's Word. Travis did a great job explaining a few weeks ago the importance of preaching the Word and how a congregation's desire for God's Word encourages the pastor to preach God's Word, which is the only bread of life. You know, this week, maybe you as a parent had the conversation with your child or grandchild, hey, don't eat too much candy, you're going to spoil your dinner with all that extra Halloween candy laying around the house. Maybe I heard that a little bit this week. Don't, you know, avoid the Snickers, Sean. You, you're going to spoil your dinner. You know, the problem that we have is that we crave the not-so-good-for-us as opposed for the good for us. That in our culture, we actually have learned to desire the fast food, the, the bad food for us, that sometimes we would prefer that over mom's home-cooked meal or grandma's home-cooked meal, something that is of green beans and vegetables and substance that are good for you and your body. In our culture, we have eaten so much bad, sometimes we have craved what is bad more than what is good. And in the same way that we crave empty words of the world, Words that we want to hear instead of the words we need to hear. The words that pleases us instead of what pleases God. So much of that we as believers that we crave the junk food of the world more than we crave the word of God. And it would be desirable for us to crave the word of God so that we would get life, we would gain life, that we would gain change and to gain a word of God. Just as the psalmist writes in Psalm 19, the precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. Friends, do you come to church expecting to hear a word from God? Well, then you can't starve yourself all week and hope that you get a helping on Sunday that will sustain you and nourish you. You wouldn't do that with your own body, with food, let alone should you do that with the Word of God. Prepare, pray, read God's Word, and come with the overflow expecting to hear from God Himself. Crave God's Word so that you want to be changed by it, so that its very words would be like honey from the honeycomb. You must engage it, and you must desire God's Word. Thirdly, a pastor must be patient, so I must be forgiving. The next phrase is, and patient. 
This is an interesting word that its root means badly wrong. Uh, Some of your translations might say forgiving when offended or of evil occurs. The root of this is to remind people that when someone goes against you or hurts you, you must be forgiving and patient. A pastor wrote a book uh, recently that tells of his story where he, in the first five years of ministry, had three different groups go against him to try to get him ousted as a pastor. The first one was his music minister. This is not about Mark, okay? But the music minister went around to all the visitors in the church and told them that the pastor had an anger problem and that they should not come there. The problem was he told one of the pastor's friends who was visiting that week and didn't know it, so he found out this happened. The next time that it happened, there was a meeting that happened in a funeral funeral home parlor. You know that room where families gather? There was a a meeting of the minds in one of those and came against the pastor. Uh, Another a friend of mine that I met in school, uh, he is in South Carolina. He went into the Kroger and found that people were giving him weird looks. And he'd come to find out a group in his church and went out in the community and started to make up stories about him and his family. I mean, th- stories that I wouldn't even mention here uh, that you would accuse anybody of doing falsely. And he was getting all this going on. Now, this happens, unfortunately, more often than not. But in the same way, godly leader faces opposition at times. It must be patient when wrong, which could probably be the hardest qualification in this list. Because what happens in all of our hearts that when we are wronged, we want to make it right. We want to stand up for ourselves. We want to be uh, uh, on the offensive when we are attacked. But how should we do this? Sometimes we're more strongly defensible of our own selves than we are the Word of God. So then what should we do? How do we remain patient? How can anyone move forward in this? In any relationship? It's a reminder for us how forgiveness must be the lead. A forgiveness that overwhelms our sin. It is a reminder to the fact that we are sinners, that we have overwhelmingly went against God, that it is in this that we know that God has forgiven us. That we were once, that I was once lost in sin, far from the distant shore. It is, it is me who was a sinner, who was lost and far from God. It was me that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And that through his death, burial, and resurrection, my faith in him saved me. It is not something that I've done, but by grace that came to me through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I received this much forgiveness, why would I not forgive others? This helps us all to forgive others. In the body of Christ, all of our relationships must be guarded so that we can forgive when others make a mistake. You know, many times it is just a misunderstanding that if we would go to that person and talk about it, we would find that forgiveness is readily available So I encourage you to go and talk to the person, that pastor, and bury those feelings under the wave of forgiveness. The body of Christ, all of our relationships should guard each other 
in forgiveness. As Colossians 3 says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Friends, we must be forgiving and loving in the body of Christ to make us healthy, which makes it easier for number four. A pastor must correct, so I must be teachable. Last verses, verse 25 says, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leaving them to knowledge of truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who is taking them captive to the will of God. Here we see the weighty call and role of a pastor in our lives. And if we take it back into Hebrews chapter 13 that we read earlier, that they each must give an account of those they have been given over. Here it's almost like the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to give us a behind-the-scenes look at the role of the pastor. That the pastor is not just doing something, not just fulfilling a role, doing their weekly duties, but when they stand and preach and teach and disciple and evangelize, that they are doing supernatural spiritual warfare in the lives of believers. Look at how this phrasing goes in verse 26. It says that they have escaped the trap of the devil. It, it, personifies the devil's activity in this graphic depiction that it is like a hunter that has trapped or snared people in their sin. That when we allow sin to, to grow and fester, it has entrapped us and confused our minds. And verse uh, earlier, it says that they would come to their senses. Uh, this is a word that is almost like that they have become drugged or inebriated in the sin or the trap of Satan. So when a pastor shares God's word and teaches God's word, the prayer is the spiritual warfare nature of it is presenting the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, that people, and especially that God, would bring them to repentance, that he would pull them from the trap, that he would in, uh, bring them to their senses to follow God and his word. But here's the thing, people don't like the truth. And very much like an addict who is coming off uh, their addiction, they can lash out at people. And Christians can be the same way. We don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be pointed out when something's wrong in our heart. And we don't like to be shown that we're sinful and that there's something that's going wrong in our heart. But congregation, we're called to be willing to be taught. We'll be willing to be teachable. We should be willing to say if we are doing something against God's word, we want to agree with it and not our feelings, not our emotions, and not the sin that has entrapped us. 
congregation, we must be willing to be taught. You must be willing to say, you know, I'm not going to be perfect until Jesus calls me home, and I really want to please God. So pastors, please tell me God's word so I can look like Jesus. Help me to see the truth so I will not stay where I am and displease God. Help me to not stay in this trap, but instead show me the truth. Psalm 19 continues to say how the word can help us do this. It says, in addition, your servant is warned by them. And in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule over me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Therefore, you must be willing to say, pastors, I'm not sure that I agree with what you're saying right now, but I'm going to study God's word. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. And concerning God's word this week, I'm going to allow it become obedient in my life. Not when my emotions are screaming at me different, not when my worldly knowledge I thought I had it all together is revealed to me differently. So pastors, we need to remember our weighty supernatural goal. Congregation, we must be reminded to be teachable because they are calling us to spiritual maturity. Ephesians chapter 4 says, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Friends, it is not my measure, it's not your measure that we gain fullness. It is Christ himself. And when your pastors and teachers call you to look at God's word, it is for there and there alone that we are called to obey. You know, it's okay if you come to me on Sundays and say, Pastor, you know, I am mad about what you just said. I am mad Because what you just said in God's word hit me right in the sin spot of my heart. But you know what, Pastor? By Wednesday, I'm going to love you all the more because you were faithful to point me to God's word. It's okay. It's okay when you struggle with sin. It's okay for you to be smacked in the face with truth. It's okay for you to feel hurt, but it's also more okay for you to follow in faithfulness and trust and obey God's word. So how will you allow God's word to change your heart and life in regard to this scripture this week? Well, maybe you came by invitation of a friend and for the first time you heard that Christ has died for you, that there is no thing in your life that can be overwhelmed or not overcome by the forgiveness of Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. By faith, You can be saved. Today, my prayer is that you will trust in Christ. Maybe today you need to think about how you're supporting your pastors with gentleness and patience. Maybe you need to crave God's word and prepare your hearts by being more in it 
and being more prepared physically for it. So let us then commit to one another as pastors and members to love each other more like Christ. Because in it, there's a bountiful, rich relationship where we please God, we grow in maturity, and we love each other. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for this word today and this reminder of the beautiful gift of congregation and pastor that we have. We pray, Lord, today that if there's someone that does not know you, that you will show them Christ, that today they will be made new and born again. And I pray that they will call out to you. I pray, God, today that as we grow in our walk, in our relationship, that we as one another guard all of our relationships with patience and forgiveness and joy and love. But God, within the family of faith, may we guard our hearts, guard our church, guard each other, and guard our pastors and our love together for each other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us need to to wrestle with God's word this morning, that some of us might need to respond publicly. Some might need to say, Pastor, I need to know about being saved. I'll be standing here. I'd love to talk to you about that, or we can talk afterwards. Or maybe you need to come and say, Church, I want to come and show you that uh, Christ has changed me, made me new. I need to be baptized. We would love for you to come and say that today. Or maybe you say, Pastor, I need to join this family of faith because I need relationship in Jesus, relationship with others. I need encouragement in my faith, and I want to come and be a part of Hebron Baptist Church. We would welcome you with open arms this morning. If you need to respond publicly, we hope that you would do that. But all of us right now are going to stand and sing, and if you need to move, feel free to do so. Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love Here I raise my Ebenezer Hither by thy help I'm gone I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed. Oh, to grace, thou great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace 
Lord, like a feather, find my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for Thy heart. For the grace that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ, it overwhelms our sin and plunges it into the deep that you will never look on again. We are thankful for your love for us. We're thankful how you have saved us. God, we love you and your Son, Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen. A couple of quick things before we leave. If you're a visitor, make sure you take that completed Connect card to our Next Steps desk, and uh, we hope that you will get your gift this morning. Uh, also, if you have not joined a life group, there's a list uh, on our website that you can go to or go out here to our Next Step table, and they will help you plug in and make sure that you get signed up for one soon. It's a great place to grow in community with one another. Also, right across the hallway is our uh, London team prayer sheets. We hope that you will get uh, sign up. You can sign up for a time for that. Uh, pray for the, the London team as we go and sign up for one of those spots on there. Also, make sure you get Operation Christmas Child as you leave uh, as, uh, uh, so that you bring them next Sunday. We will pray over those. So that is the deadline for those. And also, uh, some of you were supposed to fill out a survey for me. Uh, make sure that you fill that survey out. And there's an envelope on the Next Steps table that you can put that in. If you forgot it, there are blanks there that you can fill out. Uh, we need that input from you. Uh, it is for my project, so thank you for being faithful. Also, the last announcement, the winner uh, of our, our uh, best trunks for Trunk or Treat were the Gallitz family. Uh, also, uh, Chris, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Richards family and their troll trunk and Heidi Browning and her Narnia trunk. So those were our winners. We're thankful for those. They were, all of them were good and we're thankful for reaching out into our community. Brother Jared, would you pray for us as we leave this morning? Lord in prayer. Thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity to, to congregate in your house here and worship you. We pray that we would uh, take your word with us this week as we go into our homes and our jobs and our weekly activities. We pray that we would, uh, would come back here with you again next week and next opportunity to worship you again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.